Hello and welcome everybody to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. On this podcast, I am hashtag less than Mally J. I'm flying solo today, so I'm going to keep it as charismatic as humanly possible. But on this episode of the Insider, we're going to be discovering five tips to becoming an unbreakable landlord. My name is Parker Bennett. And I've spent the last 20 years helping people through the process of their largest single investment they may ever make, their home. From building inspector to real estate agent, I've chalked up a number of great experiences and strategies for everything related to the home buying experience. This podcast is dedicated to anything and everything around the Kamloops real estate market. Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. If you have ever heard the term investor alert in the real estate market, well, this is an investment alert. If you're currently a landlord or thinking of becoming a landlord, it's probably because you're trying to rent out your investment. Now, it could be your basement suite, it could be a townhouse, a duplex, or a 100-unit residential complex. On this episode, I'm going to share with you five tips in which you can, if you follow them to a T, you'll avoid 90% of the stressful issues that'll cost you money, it will cost you time, and worse yet, it could cost you your future. Because if your investment property is your nest egg, then you're, you're, you're squashing your future. Now, before I get into it, I do want to highlight one item here. As a real estate agent, I've come full circle in a lot of these poor experiences that have, that have taken place, Okay. I've seen people buy rental property or they've bought a home with with potential basement suite because they wanted to invest their money in real estate, which I think is a great investment. I think it's the best investment, okay? And then they they have bad experiences due to some of the trip-ups that happen with renting properties. They get relaxed on tenant rules. Uh, They forget that they're actually buying a business and not just a home that is going to take care of itself. And then eventually they get to the point where they're just like, screw it. I'm not going to have rentals anymore. I'm not sharing my home with anybody anymore. And they walk away from a potentially amazing opportunity to cash in on real estate investing. So as I highlight this, I want to, I want to, I also want to highlight the fact that I'm not speaking out of theory. I'm actually speaking out of experience. I've made a lot of mistakes in the rental business and I want to share with those experiences with you. Um, so that you don't have to go through with them. I'll share you a quick story before I get into it. I had a uh, condo at one time um, that it was renting out. And the, the tenants that I had got into a dispute with me over late rents, not paying rents, etc. And when they finally got vacated from the property, I was away on holidays. It was the middle of August. It was like 40 degrees. We we're in a massive heat wave. And they left me with a garbage bag full of salmon guts in the middle of my kitchen, which the way I found out, because I was on holidays, was I got a call from the RCMP and they were indicating that they'd, they, they had suspect that somebody had passed away in the home. And if I didn't come immediately to open the door, they were going to smash the door out. And, you know, maybe some of these issues that I've had in my past, you can avoid from having in your future. So that's why I want to give you these tips. So before we uh, get too carried away on my salmon story, 
Let's jump right into the five tips of becoming an unbreakable landlord. Let's do it. Let's start with tip number one, which is a pretty basic one, and we're going to get into some better ones, but learn the rules and stick to them of the Residential Residential Tenancy Act, if I could say it right. And I'm going to break down, I'm going to highlight a couple of the major issues that you're going to run into or that people tend to run into. Late rents or missing rents, right? Property damage, pet damage, uh, complaints, whether it be noise complaints, parking complaints, or complaints because you got a residential unit and you've rented the up and you've rented the down and they don't get along with each other and there's complaints there. The last is disrepair or lack of care, which I like to use. Um, this is another major one of the issues that come up that tend to deter people from repeating the process of buying investment property or having a great experience while owning a rental investment property business. So let's, let's just touch on a few of those late rents, missing rents. If you learn the rules to a T, you'll understand what should happen on the first of a month. If you don't get rent, if you get laxed on those rules, you, you end up building into your business a precedent issue, okay? And what I mean by that is this. If a tenant is late with their rent on multiple months in a row, and they call you and they say, hey, uh, I know I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to make rent today, but I'll give it to you tomorrow. I'll give it to you on Saturday. No worries. You're going to get it this week. And you say, well, okay. Without serving them a proper notice on that, you have no record of that ever existing. Okay. And where that comes into a problem is, is let's say two years down the road, you're getting really tired of this late rent program and you decide, okay, I'm going to start serving these guys notices every time they're late with their rent. Now, when you serve them that notice, if they take that to the residential tenancy branch dispute resolution, you're going to run into a problem because you've set precedent in there that late rents are okay. You've been doing it. You've, you've just told them that you've done it for six months and uh, it's okay. And now the seventh, eighth, and ninth month, you, you're, you want them out of there, okay? I'm telling you by personal experience, okay? This will not rule in your favor in dispute resolution at the residential tenancy branch. So learning the rules and sticking to them to a T is going to be your probably number one way that you can avoid issues in rental properties. Okay. The next is property damage. And I, and I also want to highlight in there pet damage. And I'll start with the pet damage. You're going to rent out properties. And in a lot of cases, you're going to say no pets. Okay. And then one day you show up and there's a pet at the house. Now, what do you do? This is a real serious problem. Okay. But maybe you like pets and they say, Oh, you know, it's, it's just a kitten or it's just a dog. And I, yeah, I didn't realize that we had signed a tenancy agreement indicating that we couldn't have pets. And then you make an exception. And maybe you take a small pet deposit and you rewrite the residential tenancy agreement and, and now you're, you're, you're taking on pets, okay? And the damage that comes from pets can be explosive, okay? You can have doors that are scratched up. And I promise you, one door, one exterior door on a house that's scratched up early into a rental property is not going to handle the pet damage deposit that you have. So when they leave and you got urine stains and you got four doors in a house that are scratched up and you got your exterior door that's scratched up and the screens are, are wrecked and maybe there's blotches all through the backyard from you know, urine stains, it, that 400 bucks you took for a pet deposit is not going to cover that stuff. 
Okay, now for the general property repair, property damage, I'm going to skip over that a little bit just because it's going to be covered in my tip number two. But um, going back to complaints, noise complaints, parking complaints, um, there is a process within the Residential Tenancy Act for dealing with noise complaints, dealing with bylaw infractions, dealing with parking issues. So you're going to want to deal with those every single time they occur. Because if you sort of let that stuff slide, again, you're setting precedence that noise complaints are tolerated from the perspective of the landlord. And this could get you into trouble later when you're sitting in in front of a uh, dispute resolution officer at the residential tenancy level, and you're trying to get your tenant out. Now, the last major issue that typically comes up, disrepair or disrepair or lack of care. I say this is an interesting one because lack of care. If you're thinking about the way that you take care of your property, and typically homeowners that have valued their property in, in such a way, if you spend $800,000 on a single family detached home, you're probably going to care for that property a lot more than a tenant will who doesn't even know what the value of that property is, nor do they care. All they care about is their monthly rent cost and what they're going to get out of that monthly fee, right? So you can only imagine the flowers in the garden, the trees, the grass, the nice shade of green, the lush green grass that you might, you know, irrigate and pay close attention to to make sure that it's all being watered in the summery months. A tenant is not going to take care of that property the same way you will, okay? And you can write addendums to your residential tenancy agreement. You can write in there that the tenant has to take care of the lawn and they have to irrigate it and they have to trim the trees and rake the leaves and make sure they clean up the feces of their pets. But realistically, what's going to happen in a situation where you're tired of the lawn getting to three feet before you hire some landscaping company in there to take care of that stuff? It's not going to matter at the residential tenancy level because nowhere in their, in their act does it allow for an addendum to come into their contract that allows them to be booted out for. And, and, and maybe I didn't say that right. So let me just really make that clear. The standard form of a residential tenancy act, I can't remember how many pages is it offhand, it has, it has a number of points in that residential tenancy act and then there's a section in there that says, you know, if there's any addendums to this contract, it will be attached here and how many pages that may be. And you can write pages and pages and pages of addendums. The, the tenant will be responsible for taking the garbage cans out and the tenant will be responsible for cleaning the garbage cans at the end of the month. And the tenant will be responsible for changing light bulbs when they burn out. You can write a million things in there, but if you get into a dispute resolution with a tenant, you're trying to kick them out because they, they haven't cut the grass or they haven't cleaned up the leaves you get to arbitration with the residential tenancy branch, you're not going to win those battles on based on addendums. So you need to be, you need to really understand what you're up against. That grass is going to go dead. You know, I'm not saying in every case, but expect that that grass is not going to be cared for at the same level that you will care for it. And as, as well as the walls and the dings on the floor and stains and, and, uh, you know, maybe the way the fridge looks after a, a tenant moves out, none of those things are going to uphold against arbitration. If you're trying to kick them out for those little in particulars, 
What you're going to want to do, and I'm going to get into it right now in tip number two, for disrepair, or sorry, disrepair, lack of care, property damage, is my tip number two, okay? Conduct your monthly inspections. And this kind of plays a role with actually sticking to learning the rules and understanding what those rules with the Residential Tenancy Act are. Because in those rules, it's going to say that you're going to do a pre-checklist of the inspection of the entire property pre to your tenant taking um, taking possession of that property. And then every month you're going to have to go do an inspection. And if there's issues that come up, broken window, door handles not working, lawn is going uh, yellow, uh, maybe there's pet damage around the door frame, uh, maybe there's um, smoke stains and it's a non-smoking home, maybe there is uh, oil leaks in the driveway, you're going to want to document those because if you don't document those in inspection reports, when it comes time to try and squeeze your tenant for damage deposit or further monies owed to you because of damage to the property, if you don't have those inspection reports to indicate when a particular issue happened, it might be very hard to differentiate between damage and wear and tear. And wear and tear is allowed in a property as far as the Residential Tenancy Act sees a property, but property damage is not allowed. And so doing those inspection reports every month with your tenant present and getting them to initial and sign them every month, that will lead you to later being able to identify property damage and being able to get compensated for that uh, damage to your property. So these two rules, they tips, they both kind of come together understanding the Residential Tenancy Act, and then actually following it to a T, doing those monthly inspection reports, major, major, major tip. All right, tip number three, okay? When renting out a property, this is going to be, this is not going to be for everybody, okay? But this might be perfect for uh, somebody who's just bought a single family detached home or a townhouse or a condo, whatever, and they've decided they're going to rent that property out this is not going to work if you're renting your basement suite out, okay? Because you're, you're going to be the owner. They're going to know that you're the man. You're the owner. You're the one that pays the taxes. They see that on, uh, in the mail, in the mailbox. But if you are renting out a property like a townhouse or a condo or a single-family detached home, other than where your primary residence is, I wouldn't let the tenants know that you're the owner, I would just let them think that you're the manager for somebody else's residential property, okay? This serves you in a number of ways, okay? Imagine this. Imagine you show up for a inspection, okay? And you're going through the property and the tenant says to the owner, you being the, the, the man, you're the, you're the owner and the manager, um, yeah, that, the carpet over there was damaged before, like, yeah, we'll fix it. You know, like Parker, don't worry about it. We're going to fix that up. Like you don't need to write that in your report or whatever. Yeah. You might, you might really like your tenants. They've paid, they've been really good. They've been quiet. They haven't given you any grief and you may let that slide, but at the end of tenancy, that's going to come back to bite you because well, they didn't fix the carpet that they tore up, but now let's, let's pretend that we're simply just the manager for the owner. Okay. And you say to the, the sort of the, the tenant says to you, yeah, the carpet's kind of damaged there, but we'll fix that before we move out. And you say, well, no problem, but I've been hired to do a job. So I have to take a picture of that 
and we need to document on this because I don't want to lose my job. And, you know, I have a family to feed at home and the owner has seen the other, you know, inspection reports and, you know, we have to stick by the rules and they kind of understand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got, I understand. The same goes for rent collection. You know, if you get a call from the tenant and they say, Hey, listen, I don't really want to notice this month because I got one last month, but I'm only going to be a day or two late with rent. Now, if you're the owner, it might be, they're directly asking you for a favor and you might be feeling obligated to give them a favor for the fact that they've paid your mortgage for the last six years. <laughs> it's really, you're like, okay, well, you know, these guys have been really good. I'm, I'm going to let them slide on this. But if you're the manager, it's very simple. You can say, hey, listen, this has nothing to do with, with you and me, right? But I have to document this. I have to serve you notice because you were late for, for rent. So as long as you pay within two days, there's not going to be any outcome, but I have to do my job. I'm being paid to do this job. So I, I have a family at home that needs to be fed and I have holidays and Christmas gifts that I have to buy my family. So I have to do my job here as the property manager for this property. And you know the, the tenant will understand and they'll be disconnected from that direct connection to the owner. And this will serve you. I promise you this will serve you in the long game. Tip number four. This is a groovy one. This is an inside track. It's short and sweet too, okay? If you need somebody out because they're giving you problems, it's better just to buy your way out some, in some cases, especially if you understand the Tenancy Act and you know that going to dispute resolution will take time. It could cost you more money and you may or may not win. If you're not certain you're going to win dispute resolution, buy your way out. Buy the tenant out. It'll save you money in the long game. If your tenant is, is claiming that um, you know, they can't make payments because it's winter and they can't be thrown out on, the, on the, the back 40, understanding how dispute resolution works will serve you as... If you know that you're not going to win in dispute resolution, it might be easier then clinging on to another five months of no rent, it might be better just to give them 2,500 bucks and tell them, listen, I'll pay for a mover to come in. Uh, I'm going to give you 2,500 bucks cash, but you got to be out by the end of the month. And if they do agree to it, use the mutual, uh, mutual agreement to end tenancy document. That document once signed can't go to arbitration. They can't later say, hey, you forced me to sign that because they're, they're, they, wait, they ain't going to get paid for it, right? So the mutual agreement to end tenancy is a document that you're going to want to use in any case where you have an agreement with your tenant to move out that's outside of the rules and regulations of the Tenancy Act. For instance, if you need a tenant out and you have discussed options about getting them out and they've just, they've, they've just said, okay, you know what? You're such a prick of a landlord. We're going to move out. We're going to move out at the end of the month. I'm not paying you anymore. You say, well, that's fine. But sign this document right here. It's mutual end tenancy. Because if they don't sign it and they've threatened to move out, and on the first of the month, if you have a new tenant ready to move in and they haven't left, you're in a real conundrum because the tenant who's currently in the property can still dispute, can send a, a dispute resolution notice to the tenancy branch um, which will take more time and, and, and will, spend, will cost you more money and more energy and more stress 
down down the road because they don't they, they didn't move out. They had, what, what are you going to do? You can't just grab all their stuff and move them out. You can't kick them out. So it's really important to understand uh, how valuable that mutual agreement and tenancy is. In my scenarios, where I've as a real estate agent, typically when we sell a property that's um, tenant occupied, we have to give them a certain amount of notice as per if the buyer is going to possess the property uh, for primary residency. So in this case, we might serve them notice and it says, hey, here's your notice to end tenancy. You're going to get two two months notice, 60 days, 62 days, whatever, how many days are in a month. And uh, on that last month, when you move out on time, you're going to get a free month's rent. I wouldn't give them that money for the last month's rent until they've actually moved out. A lot of landlords will actually just say that last month's free because technically it is free, but you don't have to actually give them that money until they move out. So I'd make them pay for that last month's rent. And as a bonus, when they finally move out, that's when they're going to get that, um, you know, month's revenue for that rent. And that just sort of gives them sort of some opportunity to move out and uh, make sure the place is clean before you hand over the check for that extra money. But when they've agreed to that two months notice, I still get them to sign a mutual agreement to end tenancy because later they can't dispute that. And if you, if you really understand how much power the tenant has in a property, they can dispute absolutely anything that goes on in residency. And if they dispute it, that's going to take time and time for uh, arbitration, time to have meetings, time to dispute it. Uh, all that time might mess you up um, if you've sold the property or if you want to get a new tenant in there or if they're not paying their rent. Essentially, going through dispute resolution is just an, an absolute waste of time because most things will favor the tenant unless you have followed every single rule to a T. And even if you do and you win an arbitration, you've lost time. So sometimes that's why I say buying a tenant out is sometimes better than waiting to go through all that arbitration. And uh, what is notable is there's actually a service portal within a tenancy branch that will allow you to actually try and solve problems with tenants. So it's essentially the same people that would be uh, overseeing arbitration of dispute resolution, but they'll speak in kind of an informal term. So if you're a landlord and you call in and you say, hey, this is what my tenant's doing, yada, 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 yada. They'll say, okay, well, this is how we would normally handle this in dispute resolution. So typically you should know before going into dispute resolution what the outcome of dispute resolution will be as a landlord or even as a tenant before you go there because their rules are pretty black and white and there's very little gray. And when it gets into gray, a lot of times it's going to fall into the favor of the tenant. So going back to just paying your tenants out sometimes is the most effective way to get them out of the home. And last but definitely not least is the number one most effective, most useful tool that you can have in your toolbox before buying a rental property and becoming a landlord. You must understand, this is tip number five, you must understand that what you are doing is starting a business and you need to treat your rental property as a business. Don't get swayed into thinking that uh, watching Instagram videos of people making quadrillions of dollars in the in the 
residential rental real estate game and it's all passive and there's nothing to do but just try and get financing, buy properties and move on to the next one, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. You have to understand that on your first few properties that you're going to purchase, or definitely if you're having a, you know, you have a basement suite in your property, that that's a mini little business that you're operating there and you need to treat it like a business. Understand that every business that you'll ever own in your life is going to have some stress. You're going to need to have an objective. You're going to need to have plans. You're going to need to have a process for dealing with all the procedures that take place in having a rental property. For instance, how do I pick a tenant? How do I, what do I do when they don't pay on time? How do I get rid of a tenant? All these procedures and plans need to be put in place. You need to do a risk assessment on what's, what's the, what's the risk to me if they don't pay rent for eight months? Am I going to foreclose on this property? It is a business and you need to take a business mindset in purchasing a property like this. Now, going back to the fact of it being passive income, the more expert level of landlord you get to, the more passive it becomes. So I guarantee on the first property that you buy and you you manage that property yourself, it's not going to feel very passive because you're going to be micromanaging all the little things. You're going to, um, you, you may run into problems if you don't know the Residential Tenancy Act. You may have issues in picking tenants. You may not... Um, do the proper due diligence and going through the process of picking a tenant. And you might find yourself having problems and you're going to say to yourself, this doesn't feel like passive income. It's because it's not. It only becomes passive income once you've got to a point where you've started to put in systems in place to take care of all the problems that you're going to have. For instance, hiring a property manager is the best way to get to passive income in in residential real estate. Well, you're probably not going to have a property manager managing your basement suite if you're just living upstairs. But just understand, the fact of the matter is that it's a, it is a business. It generates money. It's, it's, it's a great way to invest money. It's a great way to leverage the power, like the borrowing power of the banks to buy property, to, to buy a better property and stick somebody in the basement that's going to pay your mortgage for you. But understand that that is a business. And the very first thing that you should do is build a business plan around your business that you're going to tackle so that you don't run into issues. Or when you do, you know how to deal with them. Now, purely as a bonus because you've been tuning in this long, I have a bonus tip here, which is a real estate bonus tip for uh, the perspective of realtors. Okay. If you are running a rental business and you don't stay on top of market value for your rents, you're going to run into a problem when you decide one day you want to sell it. Okay. Every year, the residential tenancy branch releases the percent of increase that you can do that year in the province of British Columbia for rents. For instance, during COVID, there was a cap. You weren't allowed to raise the, raise the rents. Okay. In 2022, coming out of COVID, the rental increase was 1.5%. I'm pretty sure it was. Don't quote me on that. So if you decide, hey, you know, my tenants have been so good. They've been so great all these years. I just haven't raised the rents. When you go to sell your property, you're going to run into a real problem because the buyer doesn't want to buy your business that's broken, right? If you haven't increased the value of your revenue, 
It's like selling a broken business. Imagine trying to sell your, your, your restaurant business, but it's losing money every year. And it might not be losing money for the current owner because he doesn't have any debt. But as a new owner taking on the property, he's going to incur some debt, he or she is going to incur some debt on the purchase of that. And if the revenues are so low, it makes that property really undesirable to purchase. So it's critical that you raise the rents to keep up with market value and inflation for residential rate, uh, rental rates in your area. Okay. And that doesn't mean that you raise the rents every year just because you can. But I would say keeping on top of whatever the market rate is in your area is going to serve you best because one day you're going to want to sell that baby and you do not want to sell a broken business. And understanding that if you get relaxed for several years and you try and play catch up, it's very difficult because you can only raise it at a certain percentage. Okay. 1.5% of 1500 buck rent rates um, isn't enough really to do a whole lot of damage. And landlords tend to get into that kind of relaxed mode when it comes to raising rents where, okay, I'm not going to raise it because I'm only going to make an extra eight bucks on this property. So it's just not worth, you know, pissing my tenants off, but you know, eight bucks this year and 14 bucks next year and 23 bucks the following year, you know, that adds up to maybe a hundred bucks, which if you got multiple properties or if there's multiple units in that property, that's going to add up to uh, a better outcome financially for a potential buyer. So I would just say, you know, keep up with the rents, keep up with the Joneses on the rental rates so that you don't have a broken business. <laughs> Anyways, this is my five, five and a half tips to becoming an unbreakable landlord. I would also say that if you're purchasing a property, a residential real estate property, that may be an investment property, it's going to be a great idea to use a real estate agent that has that experience, that has had that firsthand experience in that field so that they know what they're up against, that they know uh, whether or not if they're selling or purchasing that property, the pitfalls and how to get around them. Thank you so much for tuning in this week on the Camelot's Real Estate Insider Podcast. See ya. This is definitely not a make-do kind of suite. It is. It's top shelf. Hey, thanks for listening to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes delivered right to your feed. And we want to hear from you. Send comments and questions to parker at royallepage.ca or reach out on Instagram at pbrealestater. Estater.